a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Are you recording? Great people of the podcast fraternity, welcome along to episode 12 of the Howie Games Artist Series Part A, featuring comedian, actor, podcaster, radio star, writer, and so much more, Glenn Robbins. <laughs> Mr. Glenn Robbins on the show. But to me, Glenn will always be Uncle Arthur. Lawrence, you're Uncle Arthur, isn't it? I don't have a guess where I am. That's right, the Melbourne Cup. And the man saying, where's your ticket? There it is, no worries at all. In you go, he said. And have a wonderful day, the Melbourne Cup, Uncle Arthur. You've got to love Uncle Arthur. If you don't know who Uncle Arthur is, Google it, watch it, sit back and laugh. The comedy company back when I was growing up in the olden days, as the pickle and the big penguin call it, the olden days, well, it was must-watch viewing on a Sunday night. And to me, Uncle Arthur, played by Glenn, he was the star of the show, the skit to watch, unmissable TV. And kids of today, if you missed it, there was no catch-up TV. There was no streaming service to go back and watch it. True story. There was only the old VHS machine. Ask your parents about that, the old VHS machine with a tape in it. And you probably set the timer wrong or picked the wrong channel and you ended up taping a completely different show instead. Kids, life was rough back in the 80s. One iconic character on TV is a big win for any performer, but a second character with Russell Coit, then a third with Kel Knight in Kath and Kim. That is why Glenn is a household name and a much-loved figure. Being an old bushy, I like to use a map and a compass when it comes to finding my way around remote areas of the country. But this little unit here... It's pretty much changed all that. It's a GPS, or Global Positioning Positioner. Glenn was also really, really tight with Shane Warne and has some great stories, great stories about his departed mate. And, unbeknownst to me, Glenn loves to surf. So he is a wonderful, wonderful Artist Series guest. When you are privileged enough to sit across from some people doing this podcast, sometimes it just hits you. Wow. This is one very, very talented cat. And Glenn is one of those talented cats. He's humble, he's grounded, but make no mistake, Glenn is a star in his field, just outstanding at what he does, which is generally making people laugh. What a gift that is to make people laugh. Now, when you have some time, check out the podcast Glenn does with his mate, Dave O'Neill. It is called Somehow Related. I'm a new adopter and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's funny and it's clever. Once again, it's called Somehow Related. Give it some love. All right. Here is the entertaining story of Glenn Maxwell Robbins, the cleverest man in the room. Welcome to the Howie Games Artist Series. A man that has a love for some sport, but he's also been involved with some of the most iconic comedy characters in the history of this country. I'll explain why he is on shortly, but it is my pleasure to introduce the great man, Glenn Robbins, to the Artist Series. Glenn, it is great to see you. How are you going? Now... I don't know how, how I say hello. Do I say Mark? Do I say your nickname? How, how, what, so what is, I, I know what, you probably don't mind either, but well, because I, we don't know each other that much off air. Yes. I don't like Mark because only my mum calls me Mark. So it makes me feel like I'm in trouble. So if you want to really flatten me and take the, um, Mark, the hand in the conversation, yeah. call me Mark. Pop Mark out there. Yeah. Mark, don't ask that question. Yeah. Exactly. So I had this yeah. conversation when one of – I was trying to get Kelly Slater on the show for four years, and this and I wanted to get him on to find out how a bloke can win an, a 
world championship 11 times and, and the mental strength required to do that. Yeah. And I said to him beforehand over Zoom, mate, only my mum calls me Mark, so call me Howie because Mark makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. I introduce him to the show and straight away he says, hey, Mark, nice to have you and uh, be joined by you, Mark. So he immediately was going for the mental edge in a podcast. Well, that's what, he's quite competitive. He's very competitive. So yeah. I hope you're not going to do that to me, Glenn. Oh, no, sir, sir. No, of course not. No. Um, before we get going. Yes. So I, I like to try and research my guests a little bit. I've noticed you've got, I've got any notes well, or anything. You're good. I, I, no, no. I'll explain to you why. So normally I, I read and then I consume, and I'm pretty good at retaining facts, but I put, especially with athletes, dates and timelines down on a piece of paper that I can relate to. But, and I'd made these notes for you. I'll show you later. But I, I was searching your name, and I always search in the podcast area, and you've got a podcast that yeah. I wasn't aware of yes. called Somehow Related Correct. with Dave O'Neill. Correct. And I listened this morning on my drive up from Barwon Heads, and it's a fantastic concept. Well, you explain the concept, and then I'll tell you what I listened to. Well, it is, it's two topics that you don't think are related, but they actually are. So today was Donald Duck and Taxes. Yes. That's what I was listening yeah. to. So you go, how would those two be related? So Dave Where, where do the figures, where do the two topics come from? Because it was like a computer-generated voice that spat them out. Well, it's show business. So, <laughs> I mean, we have people who do things and, and we So have... do you know them beforehand? No. So this is what's inspired me. Yeah. So go on. So it is, they are presented to us and then which allows us to talk about those two topics, trying, and it's more about having a conversation about those topics and then towards the end or the end, we will then have a crack at what we think it might be. Now we're helped by Sam, who is the the voice on, yes. on the computer, who finds them for us and then gives us the answer at the end. Um, and that's what we do. So in other words, it's a reason to talk, I mean, to talk about cartoons that you watched as a kid or annoying things that you have in paying your tax, uh, and we, we just let it go wherever it wants to go. Um, it's a lot of fun. People seem to like it. So, yeah, so what 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 made you interested? Well, what I loved about it, what what I found the real skill part of it was I was driving up, sitting in traffic on the Westgate, and you kept me thoroughly entertained for 35 minutes yeah. about Donald Duck <laughs> and, and taxes. And I, I wrestle with this on the podcast about having the confidence to just go purely conversation, which is what the podcast was always going to do. But if you've got Brian Lara on here, th there's certain things you need to talk about as yeah. you go, and there's yeah. a timeline. So I have notes. So I had notes for you, and I listened to you and Dave, and I thought to myself, one, that is confidence in your teammate. Two, yeah. that is tremendous skill and confidence in your own ability to just go in there and talk. So I thought, stuff it. I'm not bringing notes inspired oh. by what you did today. So this could be the worst podcast I've ever done, Glenn, unless you're really, really good, which I'm hoping you are. Well, what's interesting is that I don't... I th when I first did the, a TV show called The Panel... We're back. You're watching The Panel. Uh, in reality, you're probably watching the cricket where the score is England <laughs> 4 for 191. Turn off, stay with us. It's going to be good. I used to... We would know... We would have a meeting before the show and we would go, we're going to talk about that topic that and we would start to talk about the topic in the meeting and we go ah ah, ah ah I had a time where I no don't 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 so as I went into the meet uh, as I went I would go home and then make some notes on a single piece of paper put those in front of me on the desk and then we would go into the show uh, and rarely would I go to those because the show was so organic yes all the stuff that was in the back of your head came forward the, the good thing about a list is it does give you a sense of security because you know if nothing comes, there's always something there. 
Um, the exciting thing about not having a list is, is that it will go, it becomes a conversation of trust and it goes places and then things pop into your head because, because you're staying in the moment mm. as opposed to, I better go to the next thing on the list. In some ways, the combination of both is probably best. So I'd say, you know, have you got the list somewhere in the Well, anywhere? I've got it tucked away. Uh, that's but, good. But, but so, you know, it's going to take if, me turning the computer on and opening it. Which yeah. is probably going to slow us down a bit. No, but I, I think there might come a point. Okay. Because we might run out after about 12 minutes and, and go, well, that's not really a podcast. <laughs> we won't, because I've got no. so many questions oh, for you. Oh, good. So there you go. You've got so many questions. I, I have. And I have, I've been listening to the show for, for a long time and Thank you. always admired it and and had a, a connection given that we both, i more or less grown up on the west coast of Victoria and you have... You yes. live down there, still live do, down there. Yeah. I'm down there. I'm, I, we've got a place down there. As we bought a place down there, so I'm down there every weekend. And I've you've, you surf? Yeah, I do. Surfed all my life, and um, uh, so so I already automatically feel at home with someone simpatico with me. Well, that's good. Let's start mm-hmm. talking about surfing then. Yeah. Um, where, where and when did you first surf, and how does it make you feel surfing? That's a really good question. Um, oh, see, this yeah. is a positive for no notes, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I started surfing when I was about nine on the West Coast. I so a, where was your local break? Anglesey. Anglesey. And, and it was when Dad, it was the Christmas uh, period, so Dad would go back to work and we'd be down there for a month. Yep. And I had to walk to the beach with my board, and it was about a half hour walk and it was hard work, but I got there and, and there was no, obviously there was no internet to, to look up what the no. surf was like. You had to sort of walk up to the cliff and have yes. a look. And then, um, and I had another mate who, he was at the caravan park, so we didn't have a phone and we just had to sort of coordinate. Hopefully we'd meet down there. And uh, and then <laughs> uh, we'd meet down there and we, we didn't have wetsuits. We used to surf in old, oh God, this sounds so old school. Go on, go. Um, a school jumper. The woolen school jumper. An old school, school jumper to keep warm. And that would keep uh, you warm, how? Well, not really. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, and then these things called wetsuits came in and that was, oh, when you had a wetsuit, I had a, I had a, I had a my first was a, a vest, like a, so it was no, no full-length thing. Do you know what brand it was? It would have been, I, I you know what, this is even I'm before Rip Curl, I right. reckon it was. Yeah. Jeez, you must be an old bloke. Well, yeah. yeah. I'm in my 60s. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, surfed all my life. Why do I love it? You, gee, it's it's a connection. Yes. It's a connection and it's a sense of freedom. It's it, it's just you with nature. I mean, the mere, you just have to get into salt water to feel good. You just have to paddle at the back and feel the, 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 the waves taking you. It's a sense of being out of control but hopefully being in control. Hmm. And every wave is an opportunity for joy. And um, sometimes it's, there's an element of showing off. But I think if, as you get older, it's just a connection with the wave. And you go, I'm surfing this wave appropriately. Um, for what it is, you know, the surf might be great, it might be average, it might be it might be sloppy. And you go, even if I just catch a wave and stand up, I know it's going to be the best thing I do all day. And it's always, whatever, whenever I go in and whenever I get out, I always go, I always go in and I call it factory, factory settings. It means it brings everything back down to, <laughs> down to zero and you just feel great again. And I've 
done it all my life and will continue to do it as long as I can. I love the line, every wave is an opportunity for joy. I've never heard it described that way. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a great explanation. Have you, have you surfed overseas? Have you taken this? Yeah, passion? I've surfed um, the Maldives, uh, Indonesia, Fiji. Uh, I hope because I haven't sort of done the heavier waves. Well, I should say, you know, I have, but you know, I'm a bit wary now yes. because if you surf Indonesia or you surf... I surfed cloud breaking. I was going to say, did you yeah. surf cloud breaking? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a heavy set. Yeah, that's that there. Yeah, that, that was, we got there and uh, I was looking at it and going, and, and Mick Fanning had been there three days before because it, it was round about 20 foot, I think. And our guide said, Fanning's up the road. And we went, what? And they said, no, it's too big for you. And then it dropped down to about six, eight foot. That's big though, on a, on a shallow reef. And so, uh, yeah, and uh, as you would know, and it's, a wave that breaks on uh, sand is different to a wave that breaks on a reef, as mm. you know. Mm. Th- there's much more of a throw to it. So if you're going to make a mistake, you're going to you're going to be found out. Um, but yeah, so my, my mate went in, and I sat there for a minute. I went, I'm, I'll just I'll just I'll watch for a minute, and then the, <laughs> the guide said to me because we we're there with a the guide who was fantastic. Um, uh, said I wouldn't have brought you here if I didn't think you could do it. And then he got in and I sat and watched for a while. And then the, the Fijian boat rider said, big wave's coming. And I said, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> he goes, big wave's coming. And I went, okay. Um, so he takes me right at the back and, yeah. then in, and drops me. And I go, okay, well, I'm out the back. It'll be okay. But you haven't paddled out there. No. So you haven't you haven't expended the emotional not, investment or the skill to get out that's there. That's ex- the philosophy of that is very interesting that you have to pay. Normally you've got to paddle through the break. Yes. Pay your dues. Yes. Get out there. I, I deserve to be here. Dropped out the back, paddled in, and then uh, I'm here. Here we go. Took off. And there's a section that just stands straight up. I didn't make it through the section. And then there's a there's like a a tower there. I got taken across the reef and, you know, wadi wadi wah, and it was fine, but it was like a, the introduction was like, this is serious stuff. And as I'm paddling back out, this photographer is just going, shh, 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 shh. I'm going, what's, what's, why are you photographing an old guy like me? <laughs> and we, I got back out the back and he goes, you know, that guy is over there. He goes, it's like the, he's like the number three photographer in the world and he knows who you are. So we were photographed by, oh, I could bore you with photographs on my phone of me uh, ripping at uh, cloud break. You but, will show me those before we walk out of here. Well, yeah, well, then a guy came out on a, um, uh, what, what do you call it? A, Jet ski. A windsurfer. Oh, windsurfer. And it nearly ran me down. I, no, I took off and he just dropped in, didn't look. He nearly killed me. Right. Guy went over and said, mate, get out. It was like the police came, get out. Anyway. If, if you could choose of, of your experiences in surfing, you could choose one wave that you've surfed to surf for the rest of your life. What's your wave? There's a wave in Bali, the airports. That's a lovely little left-hander. Yes. Yes. Except I got beaten up there one day because a horror set came through. Airport a, lefts and rights. Good yeah, wave. yeah. I was just there actually last week. Um, and uh, there's another one. Oh, Nakur, not Nakur, oh, what's the name of it? I'm Niuatu is on Sumba, uh, which is now an ex- exclusive resort. It's so expensive, but it's an exclusive wave. It's, right. it's Oki's left. Oki's left. Yeah, yeah. That was unbelievable. Having said that, it can get gnarly as well. Can I, can I be so bold as to give you a tip? Have you ever surfed in Papua New Guinea? I hit, uh, no. Go on a boat 
in Papua New Guinea, and it is a cultural surfing, cruisy wave, if you wish, warm water, beautiful people experience that you'll never and forget. And is it safe? Safe as houses. You fly into Port Moresby, spend a night there, need to keep your wits about you in Port Moresby. Keep your wits about you. Go on a small plane, you get on a boat. They've got a very progressive system um, set up by Papua New Guinea Surfing, which is quite extraordinary, where there's only a certain number of people allowed in the area. Yeah. And then if you surf off Island B for two days in your 10-day trip and then Island C for four days, part of oh, a tax you pay to Excellent. go Excellent. goes to that community. That's good. And when you ask me if it's safe, you could leave. Uh, we're, we're talking in the middle of nowhere here, Glenn. You could leave your surfboard on a beach for three days and come back and it would still be there. So it is okay. truly extraordinary. Oh, no, that, uh, uh, yeah, being on a boat is incredible too. And you and then I did it in uh, the Maldives. And, right. Uh, and go to bed and you wake up at the next break the next morning and it's just magnificent. Good to... When we walked in here, you asked me what I was up to at the moment. Um, and I said, oh, it's footy on Friday on the radio and then footy on the telly and then a show on. And you said to me, oh, yeah, I, I don't follow the footy at all. Well, I do, but I, the reason I said that is because I knew this was a sports podcast We've, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to have much in my bottom drawer to talk about. Do you have a team? Well, I grew up in, in Melbourne and we used to follow Carlton when I was a kid and then I started surfing and I dropped away a little bit. Um, and then, and then uh, so, so the short answer is, no, I'm a fair weather fan of, of Carlton, Geelong, because of the West Two teams. Well, I'm a fair weather fan. Almost un-Australian, I feel, two teams. Absolutely. Yeah, and having played football, it's like, what is wrong with you? I, I, I start How to, do you do that in Melbourne, which is obsessed to the point of madness? How do you roll in well, when that, people... There lies the problem. Is that It's too much of an obsession. And, and too if, much. And Way if, too and much. If a footballer breaks wind on the tram, then yes. it makes the front page. Yes. And you go, I don't need... I don't need... It, it's all a bit too serious for me. So I... I and I know lots of big-name footballers. Of course you Hang do. around, play golf with them, you know, and so uh, they're really good mates, but I don't really... It's just... I don't know. I, I, it's just not something that... But you played footy. Yeah, played footy to only till under eighteen. Who did you play footy for? Strathmore. Strathmore. Describe me what type of player you were. Oh, I was a great player. Um, we, he, <laughs> I like your starting point. I was great. I, I, I had talent. Don't worry about that. I don't know whether I had guts. We had a guy who came to the school, who was an AFL footballer. Yeah. And he said, we talked all about the game, blah blah blah. And then he said, if you're going up for a mark and you're thinking more about the bloke that's going to hit you from behind than you are about getting that football, yep. give up football now. <laughs> that was it. And I went, I'm thinking about the bloke's going to hit me. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. And, we all? and so I thought well, it was probably best to do And then I broke my shoulder some weeks later and thought, mm, I still want to surf. I don't want to. Right. So, and I used to be a good cricketer. And uh, Tell me, now, this is, this is something really close to my heart, cricket. Did you bat or did you bowl? Compare yourself to a modern-day sort of cricketer. Well, I could bowl flippers from a very young age. Right. And I had trouble because I couldn't get my hand – I had to bring my hand forward to get the leggy to work because everything was coming out as a toppy or a flipper. Right. Um, and which I went on to teach Shane Warne how to do and look what happened to him. But <laughs> uh, we'll get to him in yeah. a moment. Um but uh, and then I was quite a good bat. The problem was, yes, I did a lot of my uh, cricket on the beach, and because it was only usually a batter, maybe and a bowler and a wicketkeeper for beach cricket, 
uh, on certain days, you tended to try to hit the ball back to the bowler because you didn't want to have to make him go yes. into the, you know. So a lot of my cricket was just was just hitting it. So I was a good bat, played a bit of indoor cricket, good batsman, but I don't know whether I reached my potential as a as a as a, as a cricketer. They right. wanted me to open the batting for the open age, right? And I went, no. Nah, Top score, forty. Forty. And who would have that have been playing for? They would have been playing for the under. Oh, oh, Strathmore Presbyterian. It was back in the church, church cricket. Was it that church cricket? Yeah, I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah, Strathmore Prezies. Right. So versus... you played for the church team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you may not, you may not be able to provide an answer here. Um, in my house, I have a ten-year-old son and a twelve-year-old daughter. Footy finished for my ten-year-old son last week. So it is now cricket season. He really? fills me with joy. He's obsessed with cricket. So we've already been down the nets. I've already got through 20 overs in the last three days. I'm feeling it, Glenn. But yesterday he got, because his bat was too small. So he got a brand new kookaburra yesterday. The same bat, but much smaller that Marnus Labashane uses. Beautiful cricket bat. And he pulled, he was pulling it out of the, um, it, it was as what everything a, else. What a wonderful day. Well, it, it, to bring it, he that came home, home from oh, school yeah. and it was delivered in the mail. So oh. he had to open it. And the joy I got yeah. seeing his joy, it's not yeah. his first cricket bat, but no. what a cricket bat means to a 10 oh. year old. And he's already talking about how he's going to knock it in. And he's got the sock out the back to yeah. knock it in. And dad, how long till I can use it in the nets? And it, it filled me with joy. I can remember my first cricket bat. Can you remember your first cricket bat? Well, there'd be two types. There would be the the one you left in the car for for, for a beach cricket, yeah, which would be a bit waterlogged with some yes. masking tape around it to hold it together, yeah. and there'd be a ball with a bit of masking tape down one side. Make so it swing. Make it swing. Uh, <laughs> then I have is oh, see, Grey Nicholas. Yeah, Grey Nichols. Yeah, yeah. And then it had it was very it had a scoop out a of scoop the, a GN scoop. Now. Did I have one or were they in our kit? There lies that I reckon maybe they were in the kit and maybe I never, I probably did have one, but it would have. So in the, in the club kit, did the the club kit have the, so this is when you did play. Did it, did the club kit at that stage have the gloves? Yes. The green spiky gloves? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Right, the ones that sort of Bradman used to get around. In. Yeah, right. yeah, and and then eventually the the tubed ones <laughs> yeah, came in, and now it's like a whole shield. Now yeah, it it's is. Like, yeah, it is. It is. But if you got hit even on on the rubber bit, it's still <laughs> really really hurt. Back to Glenn shortly. Next up on the Artist Series, a man perfect for this show, and a bloke I'm lucky enough to call a mate. This man has raced a V8 supercar at Bathurst, and he's also for mine the biggest the biggest star on Australian TV. His name is Grant Denyer, and this is an episode really close to my heart. So many highs for the little man, but some really tough times as well. Back in 2008, GD crashed a monster truck. He busted his back and was prescribed some really heavy-duty pain medication to help him recover. It was a really difficult time for Grant. They're very, very strong painkillers, but you're not given a roadmap of how to deal with that. When you leave hospital, you're just given the prescription and then the tablets are in a bag and they say, off you go. But it, that shit makes you crazy. Um, you know, I would, because you're in so much pain, whenever you close your eyes to go to sleep, you immediately go into your worst possible nightmares. Anything, any scenario that terrifies you, 
that'll be the first thing that you start dreaming about instantly. So you're too afraid to go to sleep, but you don't want to be awake because you're in so much pain. So like maybe it's maybe you have a fear of someone leaving you. Now I'm I'm newly dependent on my on my partner to survive. So a fear of her leaving, maybe it's a fear of losing your career, maybe it's a fear of being, you know, stabbed to death, anything. You go straight into that at every single night. Now I remember waking up a couple of times when you wake up you can't tell the difference between reality and and the nightmare like you just you can't separate the two so you believe everything that happens in your dream that is the star that is grant denyer next tuesday on the artist series let's get back to glenn we are here and you won't realize this um in many ways through a connection to a man that we both love Yes. Shane Warne. Yes. Because as you know, Shane was very inquisitive about what people were up to. And he'd been on the podcast and then um, I was telling him about the artist series, the concept I had last year to do people from art and sport. And I we were on the way to a test match. Probably yeah. it was the Sydney test two years ago. I always used to share a, a car with him to the ground because we didn't like to get there too early. We liked to leave it as late as possible because yeah. there's a lot of sitting around. Yeah. And he, and you know how enthusiastic he was about yeah. things. And he said, oh, I, I know two people. Two people immediately you need to get on that, that have got a great connection to sport and, and a really creative um, – they'll be perfect, perfect, perfect. And he said, the first one was Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> I love a name drop like that. <laughs> well, and the second one was you. Uh, well. Um, so I've started with you yeah. because in great – Respect to you. I think it's going to be easier to get you on the show. Well, that was Ed. Ed just ringing me before, <laughs> right. so I so can is connect he you. Good up. to come. Yeah. So Warney was the one that said to me before I started the first series last year, "You really need to get Glenn on." So um, it's bizarre that he's no longer with us. He he told me a story that I still am not sure if I believe about you and him when he was banned from playing cricket. And he needed someone to bowl to yeah. because he could not bowl in any registered license place. So he'd taken the diuretic, he'd come home from the World Cup. Yeah. Is this a true story? It is, yeah. Um, it is. It is. And it, it, we, we, we did it in terms of for the greater good, so Shane, because we were outside of cricket. It was myself and Russell Gilbert. Um, we were outside of cricket, so therefore it was legal for us because he couldn't do anything for a year. No. Couldn't join a, a local cricket match. Nothing. He couldn't. Nothing probably, sanctioned at all. Yeah, if he was probably seen playing beach cricket, he would have been, you know. So set, we said jokingly, if you want someone to bowl to, uh, someone to, you know, yeah, someone to bowl to, happy to do it. So now did he do it really for his training or did he do it because he's a great bloke and he just thought, you know, you know, I'll let him have a bit of a go. Anyway, we did it. We went down there. Where? Where? Where did you go? Uh, it was a Victorian indoor centre. Right. You uh, and Russell Gilbert and Shane Warne. And Shane Warne, just the three of us. Um, <laughs> I love this, Glenn. Uh, and uh, as, as you're padding up, you're going, I can't believe what's about to happen. <laughs> now, you also remember he's bowling onto what? what, what what's the material? What's, what's, what, what's the material? What, what, oh, what? like the, uh, in the indoor net. It's like Astro too. Yeah, yeah. So the ball can rip mm. on, on that. And he could he could spin the ball a decent amount anyway. Yeah, to be fair. Well, yeah, to be fair. 
Um, <laughs> so I think Russell maybe batted first, and then and he did 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 fine, and then I went in, and he just to see him do that little step, the goosebumps on your on your on your whole body going, oh my god, it's about to happen. The ball would get about a couple of oh, 10 foot away from you. Yep. And you could hear. <laughs> you could hear it buzzing through the air. And I started laughing because <laughs> I knew it was dipping down and I knew it could do one of 10 different things. And I had <laughs> no idea. Of what those 10 things could be. Yeah, it could go up, it could, it could go left, it could go right, it could go down, it could, go, it could be. And, and, in, and, and, and Shane would have been just giving me gentle ones. And, and then I hit one and Shane went, shot. I went, oh, my God. I fit Shane Warren quite well and he said, shot. <laughs> and anyway, I said, okay, okay, let's pretend that it's the, uh, it's the last over of the Ashes and I've got, and I've got to get 10 runs off one over from Shane Warne. <laughs> And um, anyway, I think he let me win and I think I won the Ashes for Australia. But it was such a joy. I mean, you know, um, just to, just to, to, to witness it and to be a part of it. And he did it in, in a way that was so joyful and playful and he was just a, a beautiful man. Yeah. So we were both very privileged to get an opportunity to be involved with his state funeral. Yes. Ha- you went up on stage with some of his closest mates, yourself, Andy Lee, Sam Newman, Aaron Hamill. How did you go about doing that? How did you deal with the emotion of what you're doing and the sadness, yet you were trying to provide some joy and light to people that were feeling really down? How was it? And the scale of it. How did you deal with the scale of it? Yeah, it, 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 I had been to the his uh, private family funeral, which was incredibly, incredibly tough. Um, and then I received a call from Helen, his, uh, assistant saying, we would love you to be part of, because I wasn't going to go to the MCG. I just, I, 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 uh, I was happy to watch it at home. And I, I'm with you. Like only Warney could have two funerals. Yes. Like, I, I'd expended so much emotional energy yeah. watching his kids in tears at the private funeral. I, yeah. I thought yeah. to myself, oh, I can't do this a yeah, second time. Yeah, I, you, you were the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I it was, it was, um, it was just too tough. And uh, yeah, so she rang me and she said they would like you to be on stage. And then she said, and the kids want you to do it. And I went. Well, there's no way I'm going to say. Of course, I will. Absolutely, that, yeah. yeah. Like, and I, I would be an absolute honour to do that. Jackson rang me. Oh Jackson well, yeah, you, yeah. A, a phone, a number yeah. popped up, and he's like, "Oh, mate, it's Jackson Warren." Yeah. And I hardly could get through the conversation. Yes. It, it was like, and he just talked his way through it and said, "We'd love you to do it." And you have to say, uh, and yes, that's that's what I was gobsmacked. Yeah, by and the that's what of that that's man. what you gets you so much to see their strength. Yes. During that period. And they showed pure emotion and they showed pure strength. And you go, Shane would be so proud of them. Yes. Um, Yes. Like the three of them, when they spoke. And and, and interestingly, when they did it, when they spoke at the MCG, they did it, they did themselves proud because they spoke beautifully and they captured, not that it's a performance or anything like that, but it's, it's an incredibly, as you would have felt, incredibly daunting thing to do. I had to go, you know what? I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just going to talk about the man that I love. Yeah. And it's going to be honest. The hard part 
I don't know whether you had the same experience, but the hard part was there are things about his private, about his life that you're happy to talk about. And there are things that, that he told me stories that were incredible from Ed Sheeran to, and, and the whole gamut of life mm. was in the, was in those stories. And I don't want to repeat those stories. No. I don't, and that's between Shane and I, and I don't want to do it for the, the glory or the, you know, uh, sort of inappropriateness of, of, of sharing things that were private. But there was a sense that we want, that they wanted us to bring across the fact that Shane was a bit of a larrikin. So it was kind of like we did the rehearsal and it was pretty low key. And then... Um, the rehearsal is what got me. They, they said, oh, just, just come. The other guys won't be there. But just say where you're going to sit, stand, yeah, how it's yeah. going to roll. And I had no idea. I remember arriving at the MCG and Aaron Hamill was there because he was there yeah, to rehearse yeah. with you. And it was like a Rolling Stones concert. Oh, and, and then I, I knew the guy, Luke Tunnicliffe, that produced it. And he told me the number of countries it was going to. <laughs> and that's when the, the enormity of it. What, I know. And you just want to do the right thing by your mate. I've never yeah. been so nervous in yeah. 20 years. Were yeah. you nervous? Yeah. I, I was really nervous. Well, I've never told anybody this, but the day I woke up, the day of it, I woke up and my stomach went, yeah. and I thought, is that nerves or have I got something? Right. And because we'd been at rehearsals, I, I, got, I, I thought, those sandwiches I had at rehearsals, I think. <laughs> the chicken have, sandwich. Yeah, I had the chicken sandwiches at the rehearsal. And I turned <laughs> up the next day and I saw the guys, I saw Aaron, I said, I said, did you have the chicken sandwiches last night? And they went, yeah. I said, are you all right? And he goes, yeah. Right. I went, because I'm not. And I don't know whether I should tell the story, but I will. Um, so I walk out because the, there was the – so you had this show started and there was the 50,000 people around the outside. Then there was this, this area in the middle that was all white with white chairs and that's yep. where the closer family yeah. and yep. celebrities were sitting. And I went out there and sat down there and it started – and I'll be honest with you, during the day – I hadn't been well. I had lived with them without getting into graphic right. detail. I think I know where you're going. Yeah. Bali, belly Right. <laughs> and it started and my stomach went on. I went, oh, my God. It's going to happen. Oh, no. On a white chair with white, with white, it's white. There's no way I could. And at this point, I cannot get up and walk out in front of 50,000 people to go, mate, mate. If you need to go to the tool, do, don't, don't go now. Don't go while the, and, and so I got through it. And then, and then at one point, I think we, we went out to the toilet and it, it, it worked out fine. Oh. But, but, but I reckon Shane helped me. I reckon he just, mate, you can do this. You can get my, Shane, you know, Shane would always come back with from India, always a bit dodgy. Yes. Anyway, um, I didn't want to bring that down to that, but um, I was nervous. Um, but then I just went, as I said before, I just want to I'm I just looked down at the kids and I looked uh, at his family and I just I'm gonna be honest. Um and there were things that I won't say, but I know there's some things that I want to say. People seem to enjoy it and we, we, we didn't mate. give away we didn't give away too much. But as Sam said, you know, um there are things No, like I'm not even gonna say anything now. Yep. There are things that you would know that I know that I will never tell. Yeah, I, I found it really challenging when I saw um, 
my childhood hero was Alan Border. Yep. Childhood hero. Yep. Posters, scrapbook, the works. Yep. And when we were there and the great Robbie Mascara, the floor manager, who I'm sure you know Robbie, he said, mate, three minutes and we're on. And <sighs> AB was... Scared. Scared. I could, yeah. And he was shaking and he was pale. Now, yeah. this is your childhood hero. They used to stare down the West I Indies. Know. And that's when I thought, I don't know how this is going to go. Because yep. if Alan Border is nervous yep. and Brian Lara's pacing around, yep. then holy hell, how are we going to do this? Yep. Um, I know what you mean about the stories. I, I, I remember, like, like you say, every story he had, I don't wish to sidetrack us here, but going to and from the test match with yeah. him. He, he would tell you, and I remember saying to him last summer, mate, if we did a podcast of this, these stories, this would be the biggest podcast in the cricket speaking world, but you could never do it. And Shane being Shane's like, oh yeah, why couldn't we do it? Maybe we could do this. I like, mate, you can't tell these stories no. to a public audience. No. Not that they're, 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 they're just too personal. That yeah. no, I don't want people to think there's anything wrong with them. Oh, just no, too, he never did anything no, wrong. they were just too personal, yes. too private, these stories, yeah. to share with a wider audience. Because he was absolutely authentic in the way he dealt with life. So he and he, he was he was so, um, if he gave an opinion on something or he, he was hard on someone, it's because he really believed it. So when he told you a story, he wasn't making it up for attention or glory. He was celebrating it and going, and then if he could include you in that world that he's just talked about it, he would. Yeah. You, go, you come next time. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, we'll do it. And you're going, mate, I, I'm not in your, because he would tell stories. And as I said on stage, you, you're going, yeah, anyway, Glenn, what have you been up to? And I, as I said, I've been doing a bit of Pilates. And, <laughs> and, and it's like, that's, you go, oh, that's good, mate. That's really good. And he would, he would just be so enthusiastic yes. about you. But uh, look, uh, without getting a self-congratulatory club here, but he, he, he approached me about a number of projects. Um, and I, and I won't go into the details, but he, he spoke so fondly of you. He was, he, he felt very safe with you and he wanted, I know that he, you had, and he included me in some of those projects. And I said, that is a brilliant idea for a project. And it was with you and you probably don't want to say what it was, but I was very excited for the, for what you guys were about to do. And unfortunately it didn't come, it didn't happen, but, um, he, he, he trusted you immensely and, uh, and. And he, as much as he, he was, like, but he, he, the pocket of people he had was actually quite small. Oh, uh, he, he knew everyone, but but there were the, uh, uh, you know, what an honour to 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 be uh, to be uh, within that group. Oh, the, the mm, yeah. privilege to be involved on yeah. that night is no privilege yeah. that will I'll ever be afforded again. I just. I don't want to get emotional. I just can't believe he's not. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, well, I don't know about you, but I, um, my relationship with him, he would go overseas, you know, for a long period, and then he would just pop back into your life, mm. and he would be a hundred percent everything. This is happening. And then he would go away again. Well, it was the same. I'd see him over summer. He'd be like your summer friend. Yeah, and, and then he'd and disappear gone. off and hang out with Chris Martin and Ed Sheeran. Yeah, and then he'd come back again. Yeah, and you get the text. Oh, I'm back in Australia, guys, and he, and then and you play golf or whatever. And um, so this part of my psyche, and it's taken me a long time, is that I still expect him to pop around the corner, and that's what hurts. And and I've got his photo up on the wall, and I just turn around and look at it, and you, you just, you know, it's, I mean, it's for, it took a long time for it to actually sink in because 
it's like family members come and go. I mean, sorry, I mean, people in your life pass. And, but this was so quick and so unexpected. It wasn't like he'd been sick for a long time or it was just so unexpected. Um, it doesn't, it's cliche to say, but it doesn't happen to blokes like that, but it yeah. did. So it's a, it, was a, it was a beautiful lesson to, to, to love your friends and to hug your friends because- So that's what you took from it? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And he would have been so proud of us. Um, I wish I don't get emotional. He would have been so proud of what we did, I reckon. And um, he would have loved the MCG thing and he would have loved that we, the way we handled ourselves and, and, um, and he would have said something like, was it all right, mate? Was it all right? Yeah. Was it okay? Because he would do things on TV. He would do things, and I go, mate, that was so good. You did a great job. Was it all right? Was it all that right? That was his refrain. Like I know. I, we did. He did a thing that I, I was a very small part of. I was just facilitating. He was bowling on Boxing Day at lunchtime. Him and Rashid Khan together out in the middle of the MCG, and I just sort of had to facilitate it. And it was, you know, they were comparing how they bowled league spin. It's some of the most extraordinary TV I've ever been involved in. And he, he walks off the ground at the end. There's 80,000 people there. First thing he said, you think that was okay? Is yeah. that okay? I'm like, I'm and he's not looking. He's no. just, he's, it's not like, tell me how great I am. But it was brilliant. Yes. yes. Is that okay? Do you think it was okay? Yeah. Of course it's okay, Warney. Well, they came to me for um, with Kath and Kim and they said, look, we've written this idea for, for um, Shane Warne to be on the show because Sharon goes out with a Shane Warne impersonator and the idea of everybody is that Shane is a Shane Warne impersonator. I watched it last night. Yeah. She just made me laugh. Yeah. Was that a flipper? Yeah. Sorry I'm late. I've been practising a big cricket as a surprise for you, Sharon. I love you, Wayne. And I kind of had to broker the deal. Can you ring Shane and ask him? And it was more or less... Mate, yeah, I'll do it for you. I'll do it. Mm. Not that he didn't want to do it, but it was kind of like, I'll give you a crack. And just to see, there was the one time we got, we were filming in public and we, we got papped, we got, we got followed, we got, we got, we had to, because it was a re- big reveal thing of the Sharon's wedding and, and everything. He's in the white suit. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but it was exactly the same. Mate, is that all right? Oh, mate, I'm just having trouble remembering the words. And we had to, um, we had to play backyard cricket and he couldn't play backyard cricket badly because Shane Warren impersonated would have to play badly. <laughs> we go, Shane, that's like he'd catch the ball and throw the stumps down. Shane, you can't actually catch the ball and you can't actually throw the stumps down because that looks like you're too good. So play left-handed. And he still played left-handed. If you watch it back, he'll, he tries to throw the ball left-handed to make it look like he can't play and he still he does it fine. But, um, but yeah, uh, he was he – was, I mean, we shouldn't talk about it too long, but, but he was um, – Everything that you would imagine him, him to be, and to see him with his kids was just a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And I, I miss him so much. We'll put a full stop on it there. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I find it nice to talk about him, but yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's yeah. But it, it, I don't get the weird part for me was I was the conduit for a lot of people who didn't know him, but a lot of people knew that I knew him. Yep. So I received a lot of texts from people who were going through a lot of pain mm. and wanted and just wanted we know you were his close friend just want to say how upset I am and I was doing a lot of consoling to people um because I knew him and it was a it was huge um and to, I haven't really spoken I've never spoken to you before about it but to actually sit with you it's actually quite good for me to good. just you know, talk it through yeah 
Let's um. I think the no notes thing is working pretty well at the moment. No, I think it's doing fine. I, I always, I, you, I've heard your show. You're you're good at what you do. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so starting back with you, we talked about cricket and footy. Where does the creative, comedic part of your world come from? Where does it evolve? Is it as a young fellow? Like, are you standing up in front of class telling jokes, or is it family history of it, or where, where does this creative spark come from? I remember in about grade three, they did a, a game where you had to roll up a piece of paper and look through the piece of paper like it was a telescope and tell the class what you could see. And when I would do it, they had to take it off me <laughs> because I was I was just... You just keep going. Yeah, going. I just keep going. Right. Just, yeah. And so you like the audience? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would perform at home. But but my mother, my late mother... Um, what was your mum's name? Gwen. Gwen. She died ninety. She died last September ninety nine. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, at uh, in 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 Anglesey, which is I know where, yep. where you're from. Um, uh, but she would take me to see Barry Humphreys do shows in small theatres. I mean, we know how big Barry got in small theatres back in the late sixties. I didn't get the jokes. But I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And if you follow, look back at my <laughs> career, I did start off basically doing characters. And Humphreys always said, write what you know. And I, my first, one of my first characters was Uncle Arthur. So I wrote, and that was my father. So that's basically how I got started. So I knew I had a, I had a passion for it, but, I, but our, our school didn't really encourage it drama or anything like that. I went to Strathmore High. It was a good school, but they had the, they had the school musical every year. And I remember looking at it going, I really want to do that, but the cool guys aren't up there on stage, but I really want to get up there on stage and sing and dance and jump around. And, huh. and, and I didn't really answer that calling until I left school and got a job at an insurance company. Oh, yes. And went... What was the insurance company called? MLC. Right. What was your job there, Glenn? I was Victorian... Maturities claims. So there was like sound very funny. No, <laughs> so sound comedic at all. The suit I, and tie operation. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember sitting <laughs> at my desk going, "If I stay here for fifteen years, I'll get from this desk here over to that desk over <laughs> in the corner." And I went, I went, I'm not going to do it. And I, I just went, I'm going to audition for um, university for college for a drama class, a drama school. And I ended up getting into Melbourne State College and studying drama teaching. So I answered my calling. But and that was because of my mother, uh, lesser extent my father. And ironically, you know, he, me doing him brought me a lot of fame. But uh, it was my mother who encouraged me the whole way through. Yeah. So it, it just, it started there and then it just, and then it, bit by bit it evolved. So that's where it started. I mean, Before yeah. we get to Uncle Arthur, yeah. I, I really want to talk to you about Uncle Arthur. Did you do... You did stand-up? Well, that, that's that's the transition. So what happened was I started doing Uncle Arthur and a number of different characters that came up on the comedy company. I did them on stage at like Last Laugh, La Joke. Right. Um, that world in the early 80s. So when I came to do uh, – so while I was doing that, the management came and said, we would like you to start emceeing. And I went, I don't know how to do that because I was brought up in drama, I was brought up in the, the fourth wall. You know what the fourth wall is? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, 
uh, I didn't know how to talk to an audience. I went to the States around that time and saw a lot of, uh, and stand-up comedy was was a bit further progressed then. So I just saw that the way the Americans talked to the audience, I thought, well, I'll do that. So I'm, I started doing, I, and then I had to learn to be me. And I, hmm. and I kind of went, well, I can be pretty entertaining at a party when I've had a couple of, not a lot of drinks, but maybe one or two drinks. And I'm, I muck around, I'm a bit playful. I'll be that guy who, and I wrote a few jokes. And so I just started to have a conversational style. I never really, so I'm, I always was in the realm of MC. I could do spots, but I really preferred just to have a bit of a chat and bring on the next act. Um, so it didn't really progress to me ever doing uh, an hour on stage or, okay. or going on tour. I tour with the likes of Jim Owen and I've opened for different people, you know, doing different things. But that was where I learned to be me um, in, a, in, a, in a performance sense, which of course, but then I sort of left that and then went back into sketch comedy and did all the characters that I had cultivated on stage. So uh, we were just, people were saying, where are you getting these characters from? And I go, well, I did that five years ago on that, um, you know, in that show at Le Joke or whatever. Um, and then, I'm jumping forward a bit here, but we can go back if you want. Um, and then I learnt a version of me, because then I was approached about doing a show called The Panel. I know we, we can go back. Yep. And that, and then I, I, that was scary because they wanted me to be me on TV. And I'm going, again, I'm a sketch guy. I'm not um, a panel guy. And the only reason I did it is because I really trusted the judgment of Rob Sitch and uh, Tom Gleiser and Santa Chilaro, their belief in me to be able to do, to be able to perform as me on stage in a panel environment. Um, but the, the, the pilot for the panel was the most scared I've ever been. So it was that thing of being found out for not being the smartest guy in the room, mm. um, being found out that that you know when you're sitting with the likes of those guys, you go, I don't want to, I don't want to dumb your podcast down, your TV show down. And then I just went, I just went, you know what? You know, I ask a question. I'm sure I represent a part of the audience because there was an article in the Green Guide saying, um, Glenn, just shut up, let the smart guys smart guys talk and it was just like it really hurt because mm. it was kind of what you believed mm. you're going okay well I should unless I've got something good to, but then I just went you know what maybe if I just say what I'm what I'm thinking it'll 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 bring something to the table it's a different perspective that is the end of Glenn Robbins part A part B awaits 